Amen. As we have sung about God's eternal counsel, His eternal decree, as we have considered His redemptive covenant between God, Father, and Son, working its way out in history graciously to us as people, have applied it richly with His Spirit, and have given us a hope of eternity and glory with Him. We have a great life and a great testimony as we live in Christ and He lives in us. So as we now remain standing for the reading of this, His Word, and reflecting upon this, His Sermon, now let's take heed from Matthew chapter 6 as we enter into a second part of His Sermon on the Mount. I will begin reading at verse 1 through 8, and I'm going to skip down to verse 16 through verse 18. Now hear the word of the Lord. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but your heavenly Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that your Spirit would send this sermon and this message out with great power to reveal to us any areas of hypocrisy, that you'd remove any veneer on the outward appearance that is not indicative of the true heart. We pray that you would remove any false deceptions or any of those who are under false pretenses We pray that you would work this message in all of us, that we would be more sincere, more genuine, and more truthful with our lives and with our worship. So conform us to the image of Christ. It is in Him that we live and move and have our being. It is to Him that we live for glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Having finished expounding the law, showing us the character of God's kingdom and the true righteousness, that righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus now turns to the righteous works, the outward manifestation of the righteous heart and character. 
And what Jesus desires to expose are differences between true piety and false piety. Between being a genuine Christian or being a hypocrite. Now Jesus uses three examples here, each being a characteristic of piety. First of all, in verses 1 through 4, there's this area of service, doing your charitable deeds, giving your alms, or doing righteous works. In verse, or the second thing in verses 5 through 6, is the, he's pointing to the, the realm of sanctity or worship, here particularly that of praying. And third, in verses 16 through 18, he's showing us something of sacrifice. Here noted as fasting, but sacrifice being the sum total of one's life. He is identifying these three areas in really every religion. Service, sanctity, and sacrifice that make up one's religion. Whether one's religion is Islam or Buddha or secular humanism, Hinduism, or Christianity, or a false Christianity. In each area, Jesus differentiates what is real with what is false, what is genuine and what is an imposter, what is true and what is not. Now notice the reoccurring theme in each of those three examples. In example one, in this realm of service or doing the charitable deeds, the righteous works, he says in verse one, there are those that do these before men to be seen by them. And he says there's no reward from God for that. Then he says, verse 3, do those in secret, so your Father who is in secret and sees in secret, and the Father who is in heaven will reward you openly. The second example in the area of sanctity or our worship or praying, he says again, there are those who pray in order to be seen and heard by men. But he says, I'm going to say pray in secret because your Father who is in the secret place will hear your secret prayer and will reward you openly. And then in the area of sacrifice here represented even in fasting, he says hypocrites like others to know when they are sacrificing themselves. They want you to know that because again, they are doing it for the appearance of men. But when you fast, don't do it that way. So your father who is in secret, he's the only one that really needs to know. Now, in each of these three examples, Jesus reveals to us three characteristics that differentiate between genuine piety and hypocrisy, between truth and error, between uh, a, a genuineness and a falsehood. And those differences are found in three characteristics. First of all, the manner of the actions that are being done, the manner of this working out. Second of all, the motive of the actions. And third, the makeup of the actions. Now, I'm really not trying to be cute. It just came together that way. First of all, let's consider the manner of true piety. The manner of true piety in contrast to false piety. The manner of action of a false piety or a, or a hypocrisy is 
a manner in doing things, your outward works, in relation to others to be seen by them. Hypocritical Christians do what they do in the name of God, but in such a way that others can see that they are acting in accord to one's profession. They live out matters in order that others can see them. In each of those examples, the the work or the act of worship or the good deed or the sacrifice that was done was done so to convince others that you are who you really say that you are. The manner of hypocritical religion is to be seen by others, to convince other people that everything is okay with me, to establish a certain level of spirituality, to show others that you are a faithful Christian or that you have some level of spiritual maturity, to demonstrate or to prove or to support the belief that you are living in a manner consistent with being a Christian. If you're ever challenged, you could point to something and say, look, see, I've done that. How can you question that I'm a Christian? Or even on Judgment Day, hypocrites will stand and try to convince Jesus that they have been a Christian. Lord, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Did I not do that in your name? The manner of the religion of hypocrites is living out the religion with a sense of image. A sense of image. An image that is not accurate. It's not correct. A sense of protecting image. Or concerned about what other people think about you or what you've done or to give you accolades for your achievements. In each one of those examples, it's something about seeing. They do what they do in order to show others. But their heart is really not into what that is really about. A hypocrite really is an actor. The very word comes from acting out a part, a, a, a thespian, if you will, a, a, a theatrics actor. They can put on a face or put on a veneer, or show you, dress up in the garb or the, the, the wardrobe and play the part that is not genuinely true of who they are. Many people across our country are sitting today in pews and chairs in church just to be seen by other people that they are there. To convince mom and dad or son and daughter or friend that you don't have to worry about me. I'm in church. See? To show themselves, perhaps, that they have been to church. But there is an image that needs to be protected, an image that needs to be propagated, an image that they are something. The manner of hypocrites is doing things outwardly to be noticed by other people. Now that's in contrast with the manner of genuine piety, which is in relation to God alone. Now that doesn't mean that we will do some outward works that 
will be done before men. That's not what the verse says. It says you will do outward works before men to be seen by them. That's the problem. It's the manner of performance. The manner of the action is different. Genuine piety doesn't feel that it must convince others of one's character. But true piety doesn't feel the need to convince others of who you are or what you are by your outward image. True piety doesn't have to wear a veneer. It doesn't have to whitewash itself. It doesn't have to be afraid or reactionary of what others genuinely think. Because, see, we've come through the Beatitudes. See, there's a progression in his sermon. We've come to the place that we mourn. We come to the place that we weep over our sins. We come to the place that we begin to see who we truly are. And when others begin to say something about us, then we can agree with that inner self. We come to the place where there's no need to defend or paint a picture or to try to present an image because all that we have and all that we are that is truly noteworthy is in Christ. It is not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Anything that you have that is worthy of yourself, it is because He has given it to you. It is a gift. You have nothing to boast about. It is only that which you have received of God. And your boasting can only be in the cross of Christ. See? And He's brought us through these things to begin exploring who this character of the kingdom really is and and what Christ's people are like. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and those who are okay to be persecuted for righteousness sake and those who will love their enemies and pray for those who use them because we have this spirit that he has given to us. We're not in it for ourselves. And we don't have to put on an act anymore. But true piety... It doesn't feel compelled to have to hide all the blemishes and to put makeup on all of the sores. A Christian is one who knows God and he knows that God sees him. And he knows that God understands him. And actions are done really in a manner that is unto God alone, even if those actions are done in the presence of others. Paul exhorted the church, what we do, even as servants obeying their master, do it not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. So the manner of piety reveals true character. But the second thing is the motive of true piety. What motivates? The motive of a false piety or the motive of hypocrites is always turned inwardly. Hypocritical Christians do what they do for the purpose of promoting oneself that's not always even evident to themselves. They can even do this in sacrificial deeds. They can do this even in their sanctity. They can do this in their in 
doing a good work. But there is something inherent in the very motive that is prompting them to do it somehow for themselves. And even in their greatest sacrifice, there is something in it for them. There's some self-interest involved. In the examples that Jesus used, the rewards that people seek are at the issue, are at the heart of the issue. You know, people desire to be rewarded. And in every example, Jesus admits there was some form of award, reward, that was spoken of or involved. There are rewards that we get from men, and there is a reward that we get from God. But the difference in that reward is the motive. Hypocrites do what they do for the rewards in this life, to receive some affirmation, some acclaim, some satisfaction from others. The character of hypocrites is to live for the purpose to satisfy themselves in gaining the attention of others. The motives are the inner reasons why they do. The difference between true piety and false piety in even matters like singing in the choir at church or playing an instrument in worship revealed in the manner and in the motive. If you want to sing in choir primarily as an inward motive to satisfy yourself, your motive is not right. It's self-glorifying. So motives ask the question, why do you do what you do? Why is it that you want to do what you do? What is the ultimate end? What is the gain? What is the purpose? What is its telos? Where is it going? What is it saying? Why do you come to church? Why did you come to church today? Why did you come? Why do you want to serve your neighbor when it's very inconvenient for you to do so? Why do you make sacrifices in your piety? Why would you want to fast? Do you fast? Why would you do that? Muslims fast. Buddhists fast. Others fast. Christians? Eh. But why? Why addresses the motive? Why addresses why we do what we do? The true and genuine purpose of what's going on behind all that is going on. Pure motives in every situation is still something we all struggle with, no doubt. But for hypocrites, ill-placed motive is very characteristic of their lives. So the motive of a genuine Christian religion is the glory of God, not self. That is what compels him. That is what moves him to action to do what he does and why he does it. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all, do everything, every detail, everything you do, do all to the glory of God. And genuine piety does what it does for the purpose of promoting God's glory, to exalting His name, to hallowing Him. And that is why a genuine Christian can do charitable deeds to pray for and even fast for those who hate us, for those who persecute us, 
They can love their enemies. They can bless them that curse them. They can do good to them that hate them and pray for them that despitefully use them and persecute them. Why? Because their chief aim and compelling reason is the glory of God and not something of self-interest. If you understand that God is glorified in this and that your chief motive is to glorify Him, then your motive is to live whatever it takes to glorify God. How do I live for the glory of God? Always being aware of His presence, always knowing that He sees, even in the secret places, down in the recesses of the heart, and living always to please Him. Why do you do what you do? The answer is your motive. Why should I turn the other cheek to glorify God? Why should I do good and pray for those that are just mean to me to glorify God? And when God's glory is the chief end of why you do what you do, then you can do things that actually make no sense to the world around you, and sometimes even to your own mind, but you can do them for a higher reason than really bringing about something that your eyes can see. Why do you witness to the lost or to your neighbor? Why do you ultimately witness to them? It is for God's glory. He may decide not to bring them to himself or to save them from their sins. He may decide to harden their heart like he did Pharaoh. But why do you do it? It is to to God's glory, not because of the results that it will bring, but because of God's great name, and that is why you do it. We can become so pragmatic and so practical in life that we often see things and limit them to our understanding of what should be and therefore govern our lives according to that principle as opposed to a higher principle of leaving it all to God's glory no matter what the results may be. You truly have to see life differently. It has to be a higher meaning. It has to be made up of something different. And that brings me to the third point, the makeup of true piety. Well, the makeup of false piety, and for hypocrites, is to see life in the flesh. To see and to think and to evaluate and to reason and to discern and to conclude the way we see things from down here. Whether the eyes are seeing or whether the mind is seeing, that is the way that hypocrites evaluate life. Because what we, what hypocrites do depends on who's watching. False piety requires no faith. The makeup of false piety and false religions is void of faith. Hypocrites see life only through their own lens. They evaluate life based on what has been achieved or accomplished or seen here on the earth. And that is why false piety does things outwardly in relation to others to be seen by others. It is empirical. The only eyes that they know are their natural eyes. False religions, false piety, hypocrisy is filled with pragmatism. It often believes 
things based upon false premises. It lives out life not according to what God has said, but by by what man thinks or what he has concluded or what he has observed or what he wants others to think and what others observe. But the makeup of true piety is characterized by faith. In Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In each of the examples, one must believe something about God apart from the proof of sight. Verse 1, it says, Your Father in heaven. In verse 6, in verse 18, it says, Your Father who is in the secret place. I don't see him. True piety knows God's presence apart from sight. He trusts that God sees in secret. He trusts that God will reward him. He trusts that God will hear him, that God knows about his life and all the details that's going on. And he takes God at his word and he has the right purpose. And what he sees with his eyes, when the time comes, that that comes into conflict with what the Word of God says. He convinces himself that he must believe the Word over against what his eyes or his mind is informing him. Abraham sought a heavenly city, a city not made with hands, and he found it. Moses looked for a prophet who would come after him to fulfill all righteousness. And he saw him. David invested much of his life to build a temple that his eyes would never behold. But he saved up all of the materials and all of the gold and all of the things. And he established the music for that which would become. And he inherited it. Isaiah saw a child who would be born of a virgin on whose shoulders the entire government of the world would rest. And we are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, seeing with the eyes of faith the very things that God has promised and living in light of them today. And what Jesus has done here is He's made a progression from the character of the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And he begins to take a progression of the very character of those who are truly joyful in life because their character is completely different and unnatural. And he begins to show them really the essence of his law, not the outward letter and all the details, but the inner love for God and love for the neighbor. A love that does express itself outward, but a love that is down here. The law of God that begins, that is written upon the heart, and from all of the heart springs the issues of life, and God's people will live with this love. And from that now springs all of the righteous and piety living. The way that we do our charitable deeds, the manner in which we pray, the manner in which we sacrifice, The entirety of all of this is springing from the right heart and has right motives. 
And Jesus clarifies that Christianity has a right manner to it. It is a manner not to be seen by men, not to do things to be man-pleasers, not to convince men something that we are not, but a manner to be seen by God, no matter what anybody else thinks. No matter what people will judge you, that really doesn't matter. You don't have to put on a face. You don't have to put on a different act or a different mask because what other people think about you or what they're going to say about you or how they're going to judge you. The manner of true piety is only what God thinks. So you really don't have anything to hide. We look on the outward appearance, but God sees upon the heart. And the more we become more like God, the less we care about our Christian brothers and sisters on the outside, and the more we yearn to commune with them in love in the heart. But true piety also has a motive, and it's a motive to glorify God and not to exalt oneself. It promotes God's name. It does not seek to make a name for itself. It does not promote self. But like John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. True Christian piety is one that that must die to itself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And if he asks you to do something hard, if your motive is to glorify God, and that brings the greatest satisfaction, then you will do it for his glory. If he asks you to do it in such a way, not to complain about it, and that glorifies him, then you will do it joyfully. Do all things without murmuring or disputing, for God works in you to do of his goodwill and good pleasure. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The right motive is to glorify God. But true piety has a makeup that you can't do any of this unless it is made up of faith. And so it lives and it acts, believing not with what eyes have seen or your mind can discern, but it evaluates life through the lens of the Word of God and what He has said and declared is so, rather than what the natural eyes see. The just walk by faith, not by sight. And so through these three examples, Jesus asks you, who are you really? Who is the real you? And are you genuine? Not what you want other people to think about you, but who are you really? Is your piety true? Are you afraid of what other people will think about you when they know your weaknesses and your sins and your blemishes and your shortcomings? Or can you fall upon the mercy of God and just give him thanks that where sin has abounded in your life, grace has much more abounded? Are you trying to turn the attention to yourself or to the glory of God? Do you have faith believing the things that God has said and declared in His Word He will bring about, including your salvation for all of eternity? In all these things, He's 
given us matters to ponder as we evaluate our activities and our life, about how we go about them, and why we do them, and the character in which we do them, our manner and our motive and our makeup. And may Christ be our all in all and our Heavenly Father glorified in our lives as we live for Him. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, examine us. And may Your Spirit search us and try our thoughts and look deeply into our heart and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the everlasting way that the manner of our living life would be such that it would be as unto you and not as unto men. That we would do it heartily as unto the Lord. That we would also have the right motives in every activity, even if it's eating and drinking. Whether it's the mundane things in life or whether it's coming to church or the very sacrificial life that we give for others, may our motives be pure and may they always be for your glory. And Lord, we pray that we would be characterized by this faith, that we would trust you at your word and receive your word and stand upon your promises. And so order our lives today in what the lives will become in glory by living today in light of what you have promised for tomorrow and seeing with the eyes of faith And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us and drive out from us any of the waywardness, remove hypocrisy, remove the layers of veneer, and make us genuine. Lord, uh, with that, we pray that you would work in our spirit to be more loving, that in the community that we live here at this congregation, that we feel that we don't have to be defensive, that we don't judge one another unrighteously, that we make it difficult for us to be transparent. But Lord, may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we also recognize that where we have sinned, and that has abounded tremendously and still continues to abound, but grace does much more abound. May we turn all the attention and all the focus back into heaven and to God Himself. Lord, we're weak in this. And so we ask for Your grace. We ask for Your mercy. We think of ourselves too healthy, too spiritual, too good, too righteous, too together. We think that we have things figured out when as yet we have Nothing figured out. So Lord, we ask that you would cleanse us and forgive us of these sins. We pray that you would help us to stop playing a part that we are not. That you would remove from us, even in the presence of of the brethren who love us so, that we might have a deeper love for Christ, a deeper appreciation for his glory, and a deeper love for each other as we help each other along this pilgrimage and this road that you've laid before us.
to walk together in. And Lord, we pray that a, a, a real genuine spirit of camaraderie, love, and righteousness would spring forth from the heart that began all the way back in mourning for sin and being poor in spirit, walking meekly to the place where it completely divests ourselves of self so that we might see all the glory of the splendor of God in Jesus Christ and so be changed from glory to glory into His likeness. So Lord, do this work that that only You can do, that our own spirits wrestle and fight against. Do this work for Your namesake and for Your glory. And we pray that You would lead us to see the great blessedness and the joy in this and not listen to the deception of the enemy or to our own hearts, but to trust in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.